If you would, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. I love the sound of that, Romans 8. It's been occupying my thoughts for a long time now, and I praise God for that. In the last two messages of Romans 8, covering verses 18 to 25, we learn from the Apostle Paul that the whole of creation, that which makes up both the subhuman and the believing human components of creation, eagerly await the full and complete redemption of those who are in vital union with Jesus Christ. Indeed, both subhuman creation and believers themselves presently, according to Paul, groan inwardly as they patiently wait for the obtaining of the freedom of the glory of the children of God and are set free from this earth's present evil bondage to decay. Paul goes on to teach in Romans 8, 18-25, that even though believers in Christ have already been adopted by God the Father as His very own sons and daughters through what Christ achieved for us on the cross, there yet awaits a full and complete realization of that adoption to our heavenly perfection, where we will be reunited with our physical bodies and spiritual souls in utter sinlessness and fullness of joy. What Paul is really doing in this passage is bringing to our minds a now-then mentality. We now experience, as does even sub human creation itself, if it could speak to us, a frustration and a futility because of Adam's curse, which, as we have been learning, causes people to suffer and be afflicted and see subsequent pain and devastation of innumerable kinds. I mentioned to you last Lord's Day that there was that horrific earthquake in Pakistan mainly, in parts of India. I mentioned to you that the news report had reported that there were some 3,000 people at that moment confirmed dead. It's now up to 40,000. Suffering of immense proportions. And that is the now of our existence. But there's also the then. The then of which in the future... The future of glory, where we will be released from all pain, all suffering, all death, and all destruction. And Paul sets up this tension in our minds to show us what he plainly tells us in Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, that's the now of his now-then paradigm, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's the then of his paradigm. 
Paul fully acknowledges that in this life, even for the Christian, there is the present existence of immense sufferings. We know that to be true because you only need to look at the cross where a guiltless man dies at the hands of godless men and who suffers and dies even though he is the Lord of glory. Our world, because of the fall of mankind, has and will produce the most wicked and sinful manifestations of wretchedness and evil which none of us can fully comprehend. This is the now. This is the now or the present of this side of reality. But oh, there is also the then. The future of a side of reality we know nothing about, but if we were to know something about it, even a taste, it would far outstrip all the suffering that we ourselves have ever gone through or seen in someone else. This is the way, by the way, that the Apostle Peter puts it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3-7. Yes, we affirm with what Peter has said that even though we will suffer for a little while, the present testing of our faith ultimately produces a faith that is precious even more than gold. In other words, God is fitting us for the then of heavenly perfection through the now of fireproof tested faith. How are you doing in your faith? Do you see the connection between the now of testing through suffering and affliction so that your faith might be such that you are ultimately ready for the then of glory? How do you regard suffering and affliction? What about disease and sickness? How about pain and frustration? All of this must clearly be seen as the purposes of God in our salvation. And that's the title of this morning's message. The purposes of God in our salvation. Indeed, creation itself is awaiting our complete salvation. Peter tells us that even the holy angels themselves long to look in the matters of our salvation. And we ourselves await the day when we are fully redeemed. But until then, the then of reality, the then of the future, we must work to understand all that God has for us 
in the purposes, purposes of our salvation in the now. And of course, about this time, a believer might be tempted to say, but it's so hard to await these things. It's so hard. It's so difficult. It seems that I'm so weak. I try to understand God's purposes in my suffering and in my affliction or that which I see in this suffering world, this afflicted world. What's God up to? I can't even seem to get it right, this perspective on suffering, even in my own life, let alone the world. What are God's various purposes in bringing about my ultimate redemption? And how can I respond positively to what He's doing in bringing suffering and affliction into my life? Well, if you're tempted to ask that question, or if you've fallen to the temptation, and you have indeed asked yourself that question, then Romans 8, 26 and 27 is for you. That's precisely where Paul encourages us by bringing us to this wonderful set of two verses. Listen to it. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You see, beloved, what you have in Romans 8, 26 all the way through to verse 30 coming right out of the context of suffering and glory in verses 18 to 25 is a series of statements which detail how God the Father is working out His purposes in our salvation. That's what you have here. So don't miss the context of verses 18 to 25 as we now roll into verses 26 to 30, looking specifically this morning at verses 26 and 27. It is in the context, it is in the midst of suffering and affliction. It is in the midst of pain and devastation. It is in the midst of patience and waiting for our glorious future. And while we do all of that, God the Father is telling us through the Apostle Paul and by these things, by these very sufferings, by these very afflictions, that He will not leave us. He will not leave us. He will not abandon us. He has a plan and a purpose and He is working out that plan and purpose in our lives as believers which will ultimately prepare us for heaven but which can give us comfort and guidance right here and right now. Oh, how I long for the then of future glory. But I must be patient and wait. And while I'm patiently waiting for the adoption of sons, for the redemption of my body, I can also receive great comfort and great guidance and great warmth and great joy because God the Father is caring for me right now. And as I fully 
and more completely understand the purposes of God in my salvation, I will be encouraged. And I want to give you the first one this morning. The first of several. One outline point this morning. Here it is. The purposes of God in our salvation include the passionate, effective, intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit. The purposes of God in our salvation include, and these are important words, the passionate, effective, intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit. That is just what I read to you in verses 26 and 27. Do you realize, Christian, that even though you are suffering and are afflicted by various kinds of trials to whatever degree or nature that the Holy Spirit of God is helping you in your weakness? What a thought. I've just mentioned to you, coming right out of verses 18 to 25, and the context of our hope for future glory, even though we are suffering, God the Holy Spirit has been given to us in our salvation for the purpose of interceding for us in our state of weakness. This is an incredible truth. We know that this is the truth that Paul wants to affirm and to comfort us by because he uses the word likewise in verse 26. Do you see it there? Likewise or in the same way, which ties this thought right back to the previous thoughts of Paul in that prior context. Look at verses 23 to 25. And not only the creation, he says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. We were saved for the very purpose of gaining strength and hope by knowing for certain that God will one day resurrect our dead physical bodies from the grave and reunite us with our spiritual souls so that we would be that perfect worshiper of God in future glory. That's what he's saying. In this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, he says. If you can see it, it's not hope. It's reality to you. He says, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we're in the now. We're looking to the then, but we can't see it. But we can with hope by faith. And even though we don't see it now, we wait for it with patience. That's exactly what Peter says when he says, even though you don't see Christ now, you love Him. Even though you haven't physically seen Him, physically touched Him, you love Him. And there's a joy inexpressible and full of glory. And even though we haven't seen our Lord face to face, when we will not be sinning, when there will be no pain or disease or sickness or frustration or death or devastation, we nonetheless, even in the now, can experience great hope by faith and receive this tremendous promise, even in the context of suffering, The Holy Spirit is with us. This may even be the strongest text that I know of that talks about the resident ministry of the Holy Spirit for our weakness. The Holy Spirit is within us. These 
bodies that we have which were racked with suffering and affliction and pain and devastation and disease will one day be resurrected to new life joining with our glorified souls but until then we must contend with our weakness and what encourages us and comforts us in our hope of eternal life and our hope of future glory is that even in the midst of our present suffering we aren't left in this world to contend with our weaknesses alone. You ever thought that you were alone? Thought that you didn't have the help? You do through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Experience it. Live it out. The fantastic truth that God the Father has dispatched the Holy Spirit to help us in our present state of weakness. What a thought! The Holy Spirit is real, the Holy Spirit is a person, the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead and He has been willed by God to come to us and intercede on our behalf because of our weakness. Does that encourage you, believer? Oh, it should. It should. And that's the very first thing Paul says is that God the Father has sent the Holy Spirit to help us. Do you see it there? Romans 8.26 Likewise, the Spirit helps us us in our weakness the Greek word that Paul uses here is soon anti lambanomai and that little word soon which prefixes the word means with or together with and it is speaking to us that the Holy Spirit has been called alongside us to bear our burdens that's a truth right out of the word of God to you The Holy Spirit is coming to our aid. The one who has already been called in our Bibles, the paraclete, the one who is coming alongside. He is coming alongside us in our weakness for our aid, for our benefit, for our joy, for our strength, for our comfort. Oh, how we need the encouragement when we are weak. We need the Holy Spirit. And how does Paul describe His coming alongside? Look at the middle part of verse 26. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Have you ever said that? Have you ever had that experience? Boy, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you just sometimes say to yourself, I don't know how to to pray as I ought. I don't know what to pray for. Well, do you... Receive great comfort in that the Holy Spirit is called alongside us by the Father to aid us in our praying when we don't know how to pray as we ought. I guess we probably should ask ourselves the question, in what sense does the Holy Spirit come alongside us in prayer? What does Paul really mean here? Does he mean the the manner of our praying? Does he mean the length of our praying? Uh, Does He mean the style of our praying? Uh, Does He mean the passion of our prayers? No. It isn't any one of those things necessarily or prioritively. 
Now what Paul is describing here is that the Holy Spirit has been called alongside us to aid us in the actual content of our prayers. That's why he says we don't know what to pray for as we ought. That's a good translation. We discern this truth that it's the actual content of our prayers that he's driving at because a little later we'll see that he's talking about the will of God. This may be very well a clue to us that he's talking about content and not some of these other things. And it makes a great deal of sense that Paul would be describing it this way because we struggle as Christians to know and discern what the will of God is in our suffering, don't we? You might See it phrased something like this in your own Christian experience. God, what are you up to in my suffering? What is your plan in afflicting me? What is your purpose in this disease or this pain of my life? Maybe even spiritual pain. What am I to do? I do have the hope that I'm on my way to heaven And that you're working on a plan, even though I don't know what it is. And I affirm that you have a purpose in my salvation. But where does the suffering fit in? Where is the suffering fitting in with the glory? These are legitimate questions. In fact, so legitimate that the Apostle Paul, knowing us, acknowledges that in our current weakness, he says, we do not know for what we ought to pray. He acknowledges it. He's an honest guy. Struggles in his own prayer. Did he not just do that in Romans 7? Oh Lord, who's going to deliver me? I I want to do this and I don't do it and I don't do this that I want to do. Who's going to deliver me? Very legitimate questions. We're caught. We're caught between the now and the then. Between the now of my suffering and the then of my sweet eternity, I'm caught in this life. I'm a weakened state of a believer and I need you, God. Help me. Help me. I don't even know how I ought to frame the very content of my own prayers. I'm struggling, Lord. Oh, but take courage, Christian. Take courage. God the Father has not left us in the lurch. Look at verse 26. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Just ponder that. The Holy Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What a thought. And it takes us, my friends, right to the heart of that outline point. It is the very purpose of God the Father in our salvation to give us the passionate, that's why I use that word advisedly, the passionate intercession of the Holy Spirit to aid us even in our own groanings. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the precious ministries of the Spirit. But how, you say, how is the Holy Spirit seen as passionate here? Well, look at it. Paul says that he's interceding for us with that phrase, groanings too deep for words. 
you say, what does that mean? I mean, that sounds strange, doesn't it? Groanings too deep for words? Well, first of all, did you realize that this is the third time this concept of groaning has occurred in the last five verses? Look back at verse 22. Verse 22 says that subhuman creation, that's the animal world, the plant kingdom, all of that, subhuman creation itself has been groaning in the pains of childbirth for the complete redemption of man. Groaning. Verse 23 says that we ourselves as Christians are also groaning inwardly as we wait for our own redemption. And now in verse 26, the Holy Spirit Himself is said to be groaning intercessorarily for believers. I don't know about you, but it seems to me there's a lot of groaning, a lot of groaning going on in this passage. But here in verse 26, I'd like to point out a contrast. It's the right kind of groaning. It's a different kind of groaning than those earlier two. They're not parallel, are they? You say, well, you haven't done much to answer the question, what is the groaning? Well, let's talk about that. What exactly is the Holy Spirit's groaning here as Paul talks about the Spirit's intercession for believers? Well, one thing he isn't talking about is some kind of charismatic gift of tongue speaking by the Spirit as some would have you believe. That interpretation would be foreign to the context and, as well, the fact that it doesn't fit the overall context of what tongues speaking is as it's defined in the New Testament. So we can rule that out very quickly. No, given the context and the exegesis of this passage, including the fact that one Greek word he uses for the translated phrase, too deep for words, Ale Latois is only used here in Biblical Greek, so we really can't have a lot of help in other places. We have to define this word specifically as it is used here in its own context. The Holy Spirit is expressing His supplications with, literally, that Greek word, unspoken or wordless prayers. That's what it is translated as being, or in our translations, groanings too deep for words. That phrase, too deep for words. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit is groaning metaphorically. He's groaning metaphorically. Just like those first two references to groaning in this overall passage, those are used metaphorically. They point to something by using graphic imagery to describe intensity or passion. That's why I mentioned in that outline point that this is the passionate ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's His intense ministry. The Holy Spirit takes our groanings, our inward ramblings and rumblings, which are interlaced with sufferings and afflictions and weaknesses, and lays on top of them His own sweet, perfect, intense, wordless, inaudible, supplicating intercessions on our behalf. That's what's going on here. You've had that experience. I have too. You you don't know how to pray as you ought. You you don't know how to frame your prayers. You, You don't even know in essence the content of your prayers as you ought to, play, ought to pray. You're struggling with praying for God's will. You want to know His purposes. You'd like to know what is the overall plan. And you struggle and you ramble and you try to fix 
with specificity and precision your prayer life to God to understand all these things and you can't do it. It's because you're tied, I'm tied to the weakness of this world and I'm weak. It's like those disciples in the garden when Jesus said, could you not tarry with me for one hour? Can you pray with me for one hour? And he goes away and he, he's praying in his own intensity of prayers, sweating as it were drops of blood and he comes back and what are they doing? Sleeping. Well, maybe it's because they tried to pray as they ought to pray and couldn't do it. Maybe they prayed for a time and then realized, as the text says, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. We have those instances, don't we? You lay on your bed and you want to be intensive about your prayers and you realize, I should not lie down to do this. Because that intensity turns to sleepiness. And then if you stand up or you're in the morning or you're at midday or you've got a tremendously intense burden in your heart and you want to reach out to the God of heaven, you want Him to hear your prayers and you say to Him, Lord, I want You to answer this for me. I believe that it's according to Your will, but I don't know specifically what that is. What is Your purpose and plan in all of this? And there's an intensity and a burden bearing in your heart, but even then you say to yourself, but I don't still quite have it. The burden seems to be beyond me. It's greater than I am. And you, you ramble and you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit, ever so wonderfully, comes with a sweet and a perfect and an intense, wordless, inaudible supplication on your behalf. Did you know that you had the Holy Spirit who was praying for you in this way. He's praying for you. Did you also realize that Jesus Himself resurrected, ascended to the Father, having completed the cross work, is still doing another kind of work? Like Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says that our great high priest Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God, that's a salvation term, draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. It's what He's living to do. It's what He's living to do. God the Father dispatches Him, as it were, to intercede for you. You have the Holy Spirit praying for you. You have Jesus Himself praying for you. And does not Paul say this very thing about Jesus in Romans 8.34? Look at it. Romans 8.34 in speaking about enemies who would condemn believers and bring a charge against God's elect on the day of judgment. Listen to this. Romans 8.34 Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, who is at the right hand of God. That means He's accomplished the cross work that God had said it set him out to do who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us and who is listening to their prayers of intercession God the Father God the Father that means beloved that the entire Godhead 
is currently experiencing a mysterious yet glorious intertrinitarian communion of praying and the receiving and answering of prayers on behalf of their dear saints. What a prayer group. What a prayer group. Wow! Can you scarcely take it in? This is, this is God praying for us. This is, this is the Holy Spirit and Jesus Himself encouraging you even in the midst of your suffering. You can make it to the very end and be ushered into glory because the Trinity is actively communing with one another in ministering on our behalf. Maybe this is your affirmation from which you can cry out in thankfulness to God. Oh, how I long for and hope in the perfections of eternity where I won't be suffering this intense pain anymore and yet I find myself struggling to know the mind of God in the midst of this suffering of mine but I can thank you Lord for giving me your precious Holy Spirit the third member of the Trinity to help me and intercede for me and Jesus himself the second member of the Trinity whoever lives to make intercession for me. Can you affirm that kind of prayer? And that's not all. I want you to see something else. This further fascinating idea of inter-Trinitarian communion of intercession and ministry. Look at verse 27. And He, that's a reference to God the Father, and He, God the Father, who searches hearts, that's human hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the, spirits, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Oh, this is incredible. And this further elucidates our outline point because it covers what I mentioned not only as the passionate intercession of the Holy Spirit, but the effective intercession of the Spirit. What do I mean? Well, listen carefully, because there's absolutely fantastic theology about the Godhead right here in this one verse. Here's what it is. The great heart searcher, that's God, God the Father, the great heart searcher understands our feeble and frail frame. He also understands our weak state as a Christian who is still tied to this earth and its curse. And yet, when he goes about searching our hearts to find out what our prayers are in their content, knows how failingly and how haltingly and how sinfully and how weakly our prayers ascend to his nostrils, and he then goes to the Holy Spirit for which he knows his mind, his heart, his intent, who in turn knows perfectly what is the will of God the Father. And in his intercessory prayers, on our behalf, the Spirit's prayers match up his heart, his mind, his intent with the perfect will of the Father. 
Wow. The, the Father's will and purpose in our salvation is being perfectly executed because of the perfect and pure and holy prayers of the Spirit. It's all going according to plan. You're laying in that hospital room. You're near death. You're going through that trial. You're wondering what's happening. God, what are you doing? What's the plan? Are you sure? Do you believe this is best for me? Is this right for my family? Lord, I'm tempted to disagree. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how to pray as I ought. I think I know the right thing, but then again, maybe I don't. I don't see the then. I'm in the now. I'm struggling. I'm praying. My prayers are feeble. I'm frail. I'm weak. I'm tied to this world and its curse with Adam. Lord. And God the Father searches right into that heart and sees the exact thoughts and intentions of your heart and he goes right to the heart, the intent, the mind of the Holy Spirit and the mind of the Holy Spirit knows the perfect will of God and the Holy Spirit prays perfect, holy, righteous, godly prayers for you. Are you encouraged? This is so encouraging. When my prayers hit the ceiling and bounce back. When I don't know how to pray as I ought. The Holy Spirit intercedes for me. You know, there may actually be something else going on here. I want to show you something. This may actually be an even better handle on how to interpret this verse. If you take the Greek word order in this phrase about the will of God, you see it listed there at the end of verse 27? It's placed at the end of the sentence in my ESV Bible. And if you place it at the last phrase of the sentence, it may not be the most faithful rendering of the idea or the intent of Paul. Because in that last phrase, he puts according to God or according to the will of God in the first part of the phrase. Which for Greek writers meant that they wanted to emphasize such a thing. And so... Maybe a literal translation of this verse may be something like this. And the one, that's God, the Father, and the one searching the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because according to the will of God, He, the Holy Spirit, supplicates on behalf of saints. It may actually be something like this. It's main, it may not be referring to my needing to know the will of God as much as it is the Holy Spirit praying for me because it is the will of God. Boy, that's exciting. That's exciting. You say, really? Yes, it is. Follow me now, follow me. The difference in the first case, according to the way several English translations may have it, the Holy Spirit aids believers in their intercession for them so that they may know the will of God. And that's certainly true. We want to know the will of God. We'd like to know the will of God. The problem is we're never going to know fully the will of God in this life. We're never going to understand the fullness of God's will, His purpose, His plan, even in our own salvation. Maybe it's better to say, even though He helps us in our weakness to know and understand the will of God, at least to some degree, 
The phrase according to the will of God or according to God may be the impetus behind the Holy Spirit's praying. The Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints precisely because He has been willed to do so by the Father. See, what's exciting about that? God the Father's will is that the Holy Spirit pray for you. That's the will of God. That's inviolable. That's unalterable. God the Father wants the Holy Spirit to intercede on your behalf as a saint so that you might know the will of God, yes, but that the will of God is the Father wants you to be encouraged. He wants you to be helped in your weakness. The Holy Spirit knows God's will perfectly. And the Spirit then prays, intercedes that will back to the Father on our behalf. Do you want a prayer partner like that? I want a prayer partner like that. I want Christ to pray for me. I want the Holy Spirit to pray for me. And by the way, if you want to know this inner Trinitarian relationship between the Spirit of God and God the Father, you don't have to look too far. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Turn over there, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And we'll close with this. The Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, the Spirit, a reference to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of of God, God the Father. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God, God the Father, except the Spirit of God. Who, who better to pray at the behest of the Father for us that since the Spirit searches the very depths of the Father and knows thoroughly the Father's heart and mind? Who better to intercede on our behalf? Who knows the very depths of the Father? I mean, we talk as Christians about knowing God, of knowing the depths of God, of getting into the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit is praying for you precisely at the Father's behest because the Holy Spirit knows the very depths of God. And He's praying, interceding. Even the Father Himself who thoroughly searches our human hearts and expresses His will through the Holy Spirit to us does so that we might be comforted in our present suffering. Oh, how amazing this abundant blessing is. That the Holy Spirit is doing His intercessory work for us because it is the will of God to do so. So either way, you take that verse. And by the way, it's not even implying at all that God the Father is bypassing our human mind, our human heart as believers, and goes directly to the Holy Spirit's prayers. Our prayers are important. Our prayers are vital. And by the way, they change us as much as they do anything else. The Father carefully searches our human hearts 
and he finds that we're struggling to come to grips with his will and his purpose and the weakness in our life, and he perfectly syncs up the ministry of the Holy Spirit and beautifully carries out his predetermined will in our lives. Folks, that's how it all balances out. That's, that's a mindful. I want to ask you, do you see in all this the purpose of God in your salvation? That's certainly one of them. You rejoice in this, your great God. Do you rejoice in both the passionate and effective intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit? He's passionate, groanings too deep for words, unexpressed, inaudible searchings, and the effective role of the Holy Spirit because He knows the mind of God the Father. And He's praying and none of His prayers have ever gone unanswered. Wow. And do you believe that any and all of your suffering all of the trials, all of the tests, all of the pain will negate the very intercessory prayer ministry of Jesus Himself and the Holy Spirit? Not a shot. Not a shot. No way. Nothing. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. The truth is, those of you who are hearing my prayer, that only true Christians can know this kind of comfort. Only genuine believers can know this truth in light of their afflictions. Are you a Christian? Do you know the great heart searcher? Do you know His Holy Spirit who is a person who is God who Himself is the depth-filled searcher of the very heart of God the Father? And do you know the Father's Son the great High Priest who ever lives to defend the elect against the charges of the enemy? Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank You for Your encouraging, mysterious, yet marvelous communion together. Thank You for Your encouragement, for the intercession. Thank You, Father, for willing that the Spirit would intercede for us for allowing Jesus to pray for us as our high priest. May we be enveloped in your love and grace. And Lord, if there are those here who don't know Christ, May they be those who come even this day in order for the Holy Trinity to be in 
perfect communion on their behalf through the blood of Jesus and our faith in Him. For we pray in His name. Amen.